0: All right. Hello and welcome back to Deputies of Christ. So if you are not one of the cool people that subscribes to my uh, Deputies of Christ Instagram page, then you're probably left wondering why there was no episode last week. I put an announcement out on Instagram like I always do. That's the only place I put out announcements. Um, Last week's show got postponed because I was busy studying for my physical and written exams on Saturday for the application part of my, or excuse me, the testing part of my application. So that was all last Saturday. It went well. I won't go into a lot of details on that. If you want to know more, uh, go follow my Instagram account. I put a couple videos out talking about that in depth and exactly what it consisted of and how it all went. But uh, overall, it went good, I think. And now I'm just waiting another week and a half or so to hear how the results are. So with that said, um, this is actually the second part of my show from two weeks ago. So I'll keep referring to last week. I actually recorded this show like right after I recorded the one two weeks ago. Um, so I'll keep referring to things of like, last week I said this because it was supposed to come out last week and it didn't, so just forgive that little overlook and uh, know that I'm meaning two weeks ago when I say that. But other than that, enjoy. This episode is actually, honestly, it, it's on the topic of restorative uh, versus preventative justice, but the two main points they I spend most of the time on are actually kind of interesting rabbit trails um, that are slightly controversial, so... It's kind of a random hodgepodge show, but it does. Like, if you listen to it back to back with the other show, it makes sense. But just standing on its own, this one doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So you might have to go back and review the other one if you don't remember it or if you haven't listened to it. Wow, those birds are loud sometimes. Um, With that, enjoy the show, and I will talk to y'all next week. Philippians 2.10 testifies that every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, black, white, gay, straight, male, female, vaccinated or not, there is one ultimate truth that we will all be held accountable to, and this one truth is laid out for us in Scripture. Matthew 4.4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There is no area of life that God has not addressed in His living word and law enforcement is no exception it doesn't matter if you're a cop crop duster or cobbler policeman plumber or politician you are under the direct authority of christ the king of kings and if you have as christ commanded in luke 9 23 taken up your cross and followed him then you're right beside me as a deputy of christ alrighty hello and welcome back to deputies of christ I just finished recording last week's episode like two minutes ago, and I thought, well, I might as well just continue on and record this next part so that it's all continuing and consistent. So last week I talked about introducing preventative and restorative justice and then kind of walked through talking about each one, definitions of, tried to give a biblical definition of justice, and then talked about what I don't like about preventative justice and what I do like about restorative justice. If you haven't listened to that, you kind of have to go back and listen to that because I'm going to be referencing it and you will not understand what I'm talking about this time. With that said, I will once again have to put out disclaimers because I didn't actually get into a whole bunch of the juicy stuff that I said I was going to last week. Most of that is in this week's show. My first of three disclaimers I want to put out there is that my personal convictions do affect every area of my life, including my work, which everybody should. You should not be blindly following what you're told to do and I'm not just talking in law enforcement, I'm talking in any industry. Uh, we're called as Christians, but just every every person should uh, keep their moral code, code about them. That is how you have a truly just society, not just dependent on what one man or a group of men says goes. Second is even though I'm stating that I don't agree with everything in our criminal justice system, I don't have a conscience issue enforcing them. There is a point where you have to cut it, and say I'm not, or cut the line say I'm not willing to do this, I'm not willing to enforce this, but I do not see anything in our criminal justice system right now that I would be forced to saying I cannot uphold this, I cannot do this in good conscience. If there is, yes I will say that and I will stop because I believe that is my duty to my fellow man and my duty to God to uphold the moral standards that I'm held to. But I don't see that being a problem right now. And the third point kind of goes off that second point of if Lord willing, I do get hired as a deputy, when I take that oath of office, I am swearing it not only before my fellow man, but I am swearing it before my God and creator to whom I am ultimately responsible for all my actions. So when I do swear, even though I may not agree with everything in our criminal justice system, and who does? I mean, there may, there's probably somebody out there that agrees with everything we do, and, and good for you if that's what you think, but I would challenge you to reconsider because I'd be willing to bet money that the majority of people do not agree with everything in our criminal justice system. I'm not saying they want to rip it up and redo it. I'm, I don't want to do that. But to agree with every single thing and every way we do things, nobody agrees with everything. We all have differences of opinion. Um, so even though I don't agree with all of it, if I take that oath of office, I'm going to fulfill that oath as unto my God. So that oath of office means more to me than it would to your average Joe that doesn't believe in a sovereign lord and creator because I know that I am eternally responsible for what I swear and enforce or and not enforcing enacting what I the oath that I have taken okay disclaimers are out of the way let's let's get into some juice here where did I leave off last time this kind of falls under restorative justice Um, but it also, it's like falls under restorative justice, contradicting preventative justice. So I'm just kind of leave it off on its own and it will get into a whole rabbit trail when I bring it up. So I actually mentioned this in last week's show and I said I was going to bring it up later and this is what I meant, but the system of using fees and fines to fund a government is not biblical. I really don't want to get into this too much, but it's a big aspect of preventative justice. So I kind of have to. If the government's job is to prevent and predict crime, then it has to be much bigger than if it is to simply punish those who step outside the law. Let's, let's just get an example here. Let's talk, about, oh, let's talk about speeding. It's a bad example, and I'll get to that later, but let's take speeding. Um, speeding is not morally wrong. The real crime trying to be, and I'm talking about driving speeding here, like on the interstate or something. Speeding is not in itself morally wrong. The crime trying to be prevented is injury, death, and damage of property by getting into an accident with somebody. Not only does the Bible not give the government the authority to put in preventative laws like that, but it isn't really restorative because the money collected from speeding violations and all kinds of other driving laws don't go to the people who have been injured because nobody's been injured yet. It goes to funding the government, and it doesn't even go into a fund to benefit those who are caught in injury and can't pay for their medical bills or something. It goes to funding the government. And the argument could be made that, well, it, it protects those because the driving laws help to enforce future driving laws and that will protect people in the future. Like, <clears throat> okay, but once again, you are presuming that accidents will happen in the future, which accidents probably will happen in the future, but you can't act as a sovereign God and state that accidents will happen in the future. Therefore, um, I'm going to punish these people make them pay fines and use that fine to continue to enforce traffic laws because accidents are probably going to happen in the future. That's not true justice. That is not punishing. That's punishing somebody before a crime is committed. Okay, now this is where I have to completely unstate all of what I just stated because I, I use that example because that's the one that's typically brought up and when I'm in conversations, that's the one that typically spurs this whole conversation of preventative justice. Um, but I don't like that whole speaking example because I actually have no problem with speed limits I have no problem with pretty much any other road rule we have because and this is where I'm gonna open a whole other can of worms that I have to digest here in a minute I don't think the government should own the roads and usually when you say that you have to let it sink in for a second because everybody's just used to the idea of the government controlling the roads I see nowhere in scripture where the government has the authority to do anything of the like so because I don't want the government to own roads or I I don't like that they own the roads. I'm not going to try and get rid of speed limits and other driving laws because they, they do serve a purpose. And if it was a private entity that enforced those driving laws, I would have absolutely no problem with it. In fact, if I drove on a private road, I would want there to be driving laws and speed limits. I don't want to drive on like somebody just puts down some concrete and is like, all right, everybody drive as fast as you want. Just go like that would be chaos. So I want there to be driving laws. I just don't want the government to enforce them. So it's, I mean, it's, it's just like at that point, it's just like a private person owning their own business. If you have a store and you say that to come in, I have to wear red shoes. Well, that's a really weird rule to have, but I mean, I have no problem if that's the rule that you want to hold me accountable to like, okay, I'll just not come in your store. If that's, that's what you want to choose. I'll go in another store. But if the government's telling me you have to have red shoes to walk into a store, okay, that's tyranny. And that's, I mean, obviously it's a stupid example. But there's this point at which the government enforces it as a crime and a um, civilian enforces it as laws or rules for their personal property. It's not laws. You cannot be criminally punished, which is kind of what it comes down to. In fact, actually, here's a, I just used the example with red shoes, but let me take a much more recent controversial one. uh, Mask mandates. I don't, I don't like mask mandates, (laughs) but I will still gladly respect somebody if they come up to me and say, Hey, will you please put a mask on in my store? I I have actually done this before. I, I will ask them like, okay, but do you want me to put a mask on because the government and the CDC wants you to do it? Or are you having me put a mask on because you want me to wear a mask in your establishment? This is your opinion. You believe it helps. You would like me to wear one. Because if the individual person wants me to wear a mask, I have no problem with it. And I have no problem with either choosing to walk in and live by their rules or be like, okay, well, I understand, I respect you have that, the um, authority to tell me what to wear in your own store, but I don't want to wear a mask right now. I don't have a mask, whatever the reason be. Therefore, I'm going to go to this other store. And sometimes they'll be like, okay, well, just, it's just bring one next time. You can still shop here. And sometimes I don't, And, and that's totally up to them. It's, it's their rule, but it's not something the government is forcing me to do. It's, it's personal or somebody taking responsibility and trying to take care of their own property and people inside their property. So that was a whole can of worms with masks. I just opened, but I'm going to leave that one be. I was not planning on bringing that one up today. Okay. But back to my main point is I don't, I don't think government should own the roads. I would like them to be privatized. And I have to make a point here of outside of government owning the roads, I brought up the point of there's a difference between being prudent and laws forcing you to be prudent. The government cannot force you to be prudent. We are called as Christians and just as every person you are to be prudent, discerning, um, think about safety and other things. But nobody can force you to be prudent. That's not how prudency works. At that point, it turns from prudency into law so but the whole point i'm trying to make here is this point of waiting for somebody to commit a crime obviously has its limits if if anybody is in a store and somebody's holding a gun to the clerk's head and telling him to give them all his money technically that person has not done any physical damage to that person to or technically the criminal has not done any physical damage to the victim but he is by doing that he is showing obvious intent he is Uh, threatening the life of somebody or the well-being so at that point obviously you don't have to wait for them to actually pull the trigger to be able to um, step in and take control of the situation you don't have to wait to act because at that point they've showed intent to harm so I'm trying to state I kind of make it sound like the government can or you cannot do anything until a crime is committed and well in some cases that's true but in a case like um, a self-defense case or something like that where you're you're stepping in to defend yourself or the life of another obviously you're allowed to act. Or if you see an arson that's going to burn down a building, obviously you have the right to act before they've done that. It's property. It's not somebody's life. But they're showing obvious intent to do evil to somebody's physical body or somebody's property. At that point, you have the right to act. But at the point that you see somebody walking down the street with a box of matches and a can of gasoline, they could be going to set somebody's house on fire. You You can investigate. You can watch them. You can follow them. But no, you cannot actually do anything to stop them until they've shown obvious intent to do that. They could just be walking back from the gas station and happen to need some matches and a can of gasoline at home for two completely unrelated unrelated things. So There's just this point of where being prudent crosses the line of pretending to be all-knowing and assuming things that you can't assume. So I just wanted to clear that up. There is a point where you can act before somebody has actually broken a law, because according to God's standards, they have shown intent to harm. But I think that some of the laws and things we have right now actually overstep that bound and take that too far. Okay, so now off of that whole little tangent, back to my other main tangent of government shouldn't own the roads. Um, As soon as you say that you want roads to be privatized, there are usually a couple arguments that you come up with right away and I just wanna deal with these real quick. Just some of them to show some examples. Uh, first off, you usually get is just bl- uh, blatant and to the point, how would you privatize the roads? You can also get how would the road or the roads would not be nicely as maintained if they were private. You would also, or you also get how would you pay for the roads and how would you enforce road rules? There are answers to this. I don't want to go deep into this, but I'm just going to throw some out there. How would you privatize the roads? Honestly, I don't know. Mankind's smart, we'd figure it out. And it doesn't have to be, Today roads are privatized, tomorrow they're public or I'm sorry. Today roads are government and tomorrow they're private. It can be a gradual transition, slowly switching over one road at a time. I mean, you don't have to just completely, cause yeah, if you totally just, all right guys, government no longer owns the roads. Now, how are we going to do this privately? That would completely destroy the system and would be horrible to our society and economy. So obviously you can't do that. Number two roads would not be nicely as maintained. Why? Why would roads not be nicely as maintained? I mean, look at some of the other industries we have. Look at railroads and airlines. They're done privately. They take large amounts of government funding, yes, but overall, they're done privately. And they're still nice. They're not perfect. They can be nicer, but also, the more money you're willing to pay, the nicer you can get. You can fly first class on top of the... uh, There's... (laughs) That's a tangent. There's YouTube videos you can go watch. I've watched a couple of them for fun where somebody just like for fun goes and buys the most expensive plane ticket in the world. And they get their own little like mini suite on the plane and it's like ridiculously nice. They're served by like a personal chef and it's like, what the heck guys, this is a plane. But they were willing to pay for that service. So yes, they got nicer service. And if you think about, I mean, well, that's airlines. Look at um, the railroad system. It's not used as widely now that the uh, road system is taken over. But back in the day, the railroad system was one of the main ways of transportation, especially cross country. I mean, there were railroads everywhere. Passenger service was a huge thing back in the day, and they were very, very, very nice. And you could you could get ones that weren't so nice, but if you were willing to pay, you could get very, very nice services. And it was seen it was seen as a luxury, and it was seen. I mean, people would dress up to go fly in a plane and go on a train because it was it was a um, a luxury that they had. But and and if you look at it today, I mean, Amtrak is pretty much the only train service we have nowadays, and it's not. It's not nearly that nice as they used to be, but that's because of, well, it's because first of all, capitalism, there's no competition. They have to keep them trying to be nicer and nicer and more efficient. And also it's government owned, but the volume of people riding on them is not nearly what it used to be. So they don't have the money to make the trains nicer, but it all boils down to the volume of people you have riding the train. It depends on how many people you have using the service. So. You go back and look at how many people rode a train. Compare that to how many people drive on the roads. Everybody drives on the roads. It would not take a huge amount of money to fund that if everybody paid for it. Also, fun fact roads aren't free. We all pay for them through our taxes. So inevitably it's going to be the exact same amount of money you're paying. Just not through taxes. You'll be paying directly to a private company. And then lastly but not least how would you enforce road rules uh well private companies can do it as soon as you sign your license you're um, signing a contract stating that you have read to tested and agreed to follow road rules and if you are caught um, not following the road rules these are the fines you will be held to that system is perfectly fine you've signed to it you've agreed to it so individual companies can whatever by whatever means whether it be cameras or actual People in cars out on the road patrolling and pulling you over, like that whole system is still fine. That works because you've agreed to that contract and it's a breach of contract at that point if they pull you over. So, those are just some questions that I wanted to deal with because as soon as you bring that up, you get those questions. And I just wanted to throw some answers out there. And it's not very detailed, it's not thorough, but I wasn't trying to be. I was just trying to hurry up so I could move on. I promise I'm almost done on this topic, but let's wrap it up. Let's not forget that uh, the roads were not publicly owned until the 18 or 1900s. So for thousands of years, mankind has survived without well-maintained, publicly owned roads. We also didn't have nice cars, but we had horses. We had uh, we had other things. And now that we have cars, I mean, I don't want to get off into that tangent, but basically the government hasn't always owned the roads. It's just something we're used to now. It doesn't have to be done that way. Okay, I already made the other points I wanted to bring up. So I'm going to cut it there. And lastly, I just want to say is you know, I don't like government enforcing the roads. And this is actually, this kind of ties back into my whole law enforcement thing. A lot of my very, very conservative friends and people I meet will ask me, well, if, if you don't think the government should own the roads, are you going to enforce traffic laws? Yes, I'm going to enforce traffic laws. And I have no conscience issue doing it. Because even though I don't want the government to own the roads, the government does own the roads right now. And there are so many other things in our society that we need to change before we talk about, I mean, a bit, talk about government owning the roads. I mean, if if everything goes super, super well, maybe my grandkids, will. this will be like the problem of their time of if the government should own the roads. We've got so many other things we need to deal with first. And so I'm not looking to change this. And this is not a goal of mine to change, make roads privatized. And somebody has to enforce road rules. So that's up to law enforcement at the moment. I have no problem enforcing it right now. I'd like to see it changed in the future, but that's where it is at the moment. Therefore, I have no problem enforcing it. Okay, I am actually done with that whole tangent, and I'm going to get back into talking about preventative and restorative justice. So from a humanist perspective, and then from a biblical perspective, I want to look over them real quick, and I think that will actually finish off the show, but I've got a fair amount of notes. I've got a whole page of notes left, so just hang with me. From a humanist perspective, um, preventative justice makes sense. If there is no higher power and ultimate all-knowing authority, then why wouldn't we try to stop as much crime as possible, including crime before it happens? This is up to us. And secondly, there—if there is no solid line of government boundaries, we're not overstepping our bounds. If—if if, I mean, if the humanist perspective is that there is no God and man makes the rules and man makes the boundaries for government, then let's just make the boundaries for government um, allowable to or able to do preventative justice. And that's where a lot of people are going to be coming from. And that's probably the biggest reason you'll hear what I'm saying and be like, what? Why? Is because that's just, that's how we've been cultured. That's And that's the humanist perspective of society right now is, is that the government is the highest authority, therefore, or therefore the government has authority. Whereas from a biblical perspective, trying to punish somebody before they've committed a crime is trying to play God and say that we are sovereign. So it's directly spinning in God's face, basically. And going back to our definition of biblical law enforcement, or the one which I I technically did that last show, so I need to reread that. And again, this is not a perfect definition. There are parts of it that I'm not super happy with. It was just the best I was able to come up with. I worked on this for like a week. So my biblical definition for justice is upholding the sanctity of life, man's rights to have dominion over his God-given property, and reverence of the authority structure that God has built into creation. Through restoring the evil committed and punishing the evil doer according to God's law, and with the principle that every man, woman, and child is created in the image of God. So, going back to that definition, the purpose of justice is to one. Protect man's rights to private property, because God made us take, or God told us to take dominion over creation, and gave the man the role of leading his family, and his property to God's glory. And that's, that right there is the ultimate example of decentralization because every man is responsible for what he has in his direct possession. Um, you can't overstep and control somebody else's. But then secondly, um, the purpose of justice is prote- to protect the sanctity of life because we are all made in God's image. And this is why murder, blasphemy, adultery, cursing of parents, and sexual sins all received death penalty in the Bible. They all either directly blasphemed God or they... Um, disrespected life which was made in the image of God and that is something that is not tolerable, tolerable in God's eye and therefore should not be in our eye. This is the main reason this is where I'm going to get into the real controversial stuff here so just keep that disclaimer in mind. This is the reason why I really don't like the corrections system of justice that we have. I don't think it's the right way to go and I really don't think it's complete justice. Every time God gives the punishment for a crime, it is never to repay a debt to society, as we like to say today. It is to restore the wrong done to the victims, whether that be financially. um, The Bible examples in the Bible a lot were livestock. That's just the analogy used. um, Slandering of someone's name or even forced labor or even death. You, You repaid to the individual what you've wronged. Second point is the correction system depends on all men being basically good. And by corrections, I'm talking you've done a crime, you get given a prison sentence, you go through rehabilitation, and then you're released back into society. The correction system depends on man basically being good. This denies the biblical doctrine of total depravity. All men are fallen and sinful. If not for the grace of God given every day, we wouldn't be able to even think somewhat straight, let alone act rightly in a just, God-honoring way. We are totally dependent on God's grace and mercy that He gives us from a day to day basis. So, why do we think that man, of his own accord, can um, totally rehabilitate somebody and get out the evil from their basically good person? I'm not saying that that's impossible. God can do amazing things. I mean, He saved me, He saved every other Christian. You can see examples all throughout history and all through the Bible of God saving the worst of worst people. It's not up to man. We cannot change someone. That's up to God. Third point is life for life. Because we are, well, let's talk about the worst case scenario. If we're talking about protecting human life, remember once again that all man is, or all of mankind is created in God's image. This means we are to treat life with the utmost respect and. This being the case, Genesis 9 sums it up well. Genesis 9 states, um, it starts off talking, um, it's, this is when God told Moses that he could eat every beast. The fear of man will be on every beast. But it talks into, switches into you shall not eat the blood, and then it turns into verse 5, which is, surely for your life blood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother, I require will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So, <clears throat> wow. Well, the focus I'm trying to focus on is really that first six. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God gives us no wiggle room when it comes to death penalty for murder. If you have killed somebody and defiled the image of God, you deserve death. That is the only way to repay that justice. The death penalty is also required in other areas um, in biblical law, but in some cases, uh, like in adultery, there was the chance for mercy to be shown by the victim. But that mercy did not mean that that person just went to prison for life instead of getting a death sentence. It means that they were forgiven and they went on living their life. There were other consequences that came, but they didn't go to prison. And that's why I really don't like the correction system we have. I don't believe it's true justice for either party. Not only does the victim not get full justice how they have been wronged, but they're then required to pay taxes to feed and shelter the criminals in prison who have wronged them. Why is that fair? And then for the criminal, it isn't fair. Prison isn't fair. I mean, they they need to either pay the debt that they have um, made and then go free. Or if it's a capital crime, they should receive the death penalty. It's a heavy topic to talk about, and I'm sure I'm not giving it justice, but this is a big deal. Another detail of capital punishment is God's very specific when he details um, how somebody is to be executed. And 9 out of 10 times, God required the people to stone him with stones. Why did God use stones instead of a cleaner, more efficient method, such as firing squad by bow and arrow or something? And I think this is because the process was nasty. It was horrifying and it was convicting. Um, The people were the ones that threw the stones. And typically, in, in some cases, the accuser was the one to throw the first stone. So you, the accuser had to be the one to execute them basically to start the process. And as you're doing this, it's a nasty, grueling process and it would serve as a deterrent for the rest of society seeing this and having to stone other people you would not want to be stoned so i I think that that's and i'm not i'm not as dead set on that as i am on some of my other points that's just a point that i see um and a reason i see why god did things and i think that i think we should have the death penalty for uh murder and other severe crimes but I'm not as 100% dead set as it has to be by stoning or anything like that. But I do believe because that is how God did it and that is written in scripture that we need to pay very, very close attention and um, honor that if that is how God would want us to do things. So after all that, the long and the short of it is um, God commanded a restitution-based system for criminals in the Bible, which included capital punishment As and as a Christian, I believe that we are still held to that standard. So we just need to be very careful in the justice system we have and how we work to be sure that we are still honoring the laws and principles God gave us. Okay, so that was that's the end of my controversial stuff. And I'm sure there's things I did not state well. I tried to do it as logically as I could. But if there's something you don't agree with or you want clarified, please reach out to me. Or of Christ at gmail.com or... Deputies of Christ on Instagram. This is stuff that is very important in our day and age. And like, like I said, I'm going to put out the disclaimer again. Even though I do not entirely agree with the way we handle our criminal justice system, it does not mean that I will have a moral problem, or an ethical problem, going in as a law enforcement officer and um, enforcing the law. Christians should be in law enforcement. God has told Christians to be in law enforcement. Um, and I'm not going to go in and totally disrespect the law we have if i take that oath of office i'm taking it very seriously and there are boundaries that i will not cross but i don't see those being an issue with any of this at the moment so as a summary of basically just this entire thing stepping outside of our god-given roles will result in tyranny and if not corrected as seen in scripture and as seen in our day it will result in curses on the land that is one typical way that god punishes um, disobedience of his of mankind is through curses on the land, and war and captivity and other things. So this just once again shows a need for biblical law enforcement um, to uphold justice in the land, uphold God's justice. you need to have a biblical system. And again, I like I think the the foundation of the system we have with our different branches of government and accountability is awesome. Uh, I think it is a very, very biblical system. Um, even though I don't agree with these couple little things, I just want to see as a culture, I want to see us turn to God and turn back to a scriptural biblical way of doing things. So, excuse me, there's a million can of worms I opened on that one. And the whole point of this was just to be an introduction show. And then it turned out to being two introduction shows. And I brought up like four or five topics I wasn't intending to bring up and all that. So I'm sure I'll be bringing this stuff up in the future, but for now, that's all I have. Um, once again, please reach out to me if you disagree with me on stuff that was not as happy and lighthearted of an episode as uh, some other ones have been, but it was important to talk. So thank you for listening and see you next time.